Good morning. Grab your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 25 this morning. Matthew chapter uh, 25. And so my son recently found out that I have my toys in the attic. Now, the sad thing is I had a lot of cool toys growing up. Like, I believe my generation, the 80s generation, I had He-Man, Thundercats, G.I. Joe. I personally believe we had the greatest toys ever. If you're from from that generation, you know what I mean, right? And so I had all these cool toys. The sad thing is my mom gave most of those toys away as I grew up. My Transformers, all the really cool toys. However, I did manage to keep a few along the way. So my son found out recently in our attic that I have toys up there. And so it actually is cheaper than going to the toy store. We go up and he gets to rummage through my toys and ask questions about them. And then he gets to take a toy down. So here's the deal that I made with him. I said, son, number one, these are my toys, not your toys. And they're not our toys because he thinks all of our toys are our toys. I said, so they're not our toys. They're my toys. Uh, I said, I'm going to let you pick one, but when you want to get another one, you have to make sure you bring the one you used back up, you put it in, it's like a library, and then you take another one out. I said, here's the deal. If you break one of my toys by being careless with it, because these are part of my retirement plan, (laughs) I mean, you know, in 40 years, it'll be worth something, right? Maybe $25. I said, if you break one of those and you then want another one, I'm not going to let you do it because you've been careless with the thing that I've given you. I said, so take careful you know, consideration as you're playing with my toys, and then when you bring it up, if it's in good shape, then I will get you another one. And so he understands that principle. And so today what I want to do is talk to you about that principle, how it applies to us with our Heavenly Father and our possessions. And so Jesus in Matthew 25 shares a parable with his listeners about this very Thing, this very idea of it's not yours in the first place, right? And what do you do with things that aren't yours? What we've been doing, if you've just joined us, is we've been looking at the parables of Jesus the past several weeks, and he used these teaching uh, techniques called a parable. And what it was, it was this. It was an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It was a story. And Jesus would share this, you know, this background and this this, uh, plot and everything going on. He, He would give great contrast in it. So his listeners would go, hmm, yeah, that makes sense. And the reason he taught in parables, not only was it prophesied in the Old Testament that the coming Messiah. Messiah would only teach in parables, which he taught in parables, Psalm 78 too. But also Jesus employed this technique of parables because it helped his listeners do something with what he was teaching. His Jewish audience, most of those were used to knowing the Torah, but very few of them lived out the Jewish laws, the Jewish religion. And so Jesus came to help them understand what was different than religion. So when he would teach about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, he would say, and Matthew really used this term kingdom of heaven a lot, uh, so the Jews understood this terminology, he would say the kingdom of heaven is like, and then he would illustrate with a story. So Matthew 25, that's what Jesus does. He illustrates with a story, and he says this. He says, again, The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. So just realize this man is going on a very long trip and he has servants and he has money. And here's what he does with it. He says this. He says he gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. 
Then he left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. And watch this. This is the key. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. Three different people, three different scenarios and outcomes. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned what? Two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. And then the other servants probably sit there going, Oh, no, as he's watching this, because here's what happens here. It says, the, send the servant with the bag, the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. Now, he's actually blaming the master for the reason that he didn't do this. So important because many times what we'll do is we'll blame someone on why we aren't getting the results. We'll blame someone else. And this is what it is. He actually blames the master. Say, master, you're a pretty harsh guy. You're, you're, a you're a tough leader to follow. And here's what he says. I was afraid I would lose your money. I was afraid you made me fearful. The other guys didn't have that problem. However, this one guy has this problem. He thought it would probably be a pretty good excuse. I imagine he sat there and thought, man, how can I frame this in a way that he praises me? Like, if I take the blame for this, he's going to be mad, so I'll just put it back on him. And look what he says. He says, so um, I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here, your money is back, exactly what you gave me. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. Like, here's the thing. A lot of times is we blame others for our lack of progress, our lack of results, when the truth of the matter is we're just lazy. And he calls them out with it. He says this, if you knew, like, so he's like saying, hey, okay, so you knew this going into it, and you didn't say anything. So he calls him out with this excuse he gives. He says, if you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? He's like, you knew this. Terrible excuse, bro. Like, you should have had a different strategy. He calls him out on it. He says, at least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from the servant and give it to the one with the 10 bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, and this is the key here, even more will be given and they will have abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now, throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
Jesus wants to get across to his listeners here one major point. But before I jump into that major point, I want you to understand something because many times we have misconceptions about this parable. Like this parable is really considered, if you read it in the New King James or King James, the parable of the talents. And so we, as we read this, and when I first read this, when I had only a King James version, I didn't really understand what talent meant. Talent is silver. It's money. It's, it's not like talents where you can, you know, you can you know, be a one-man band, you can play a flute, you can, I don't know, walk on your hands, whatever your talent is. It's not talents. And so I want to give you a couple common misconceptions about this parable before we jump into what it really means. I want to deconstruct to you what you have probably been taught that it means or you think that it means. Number one, the first misconception is this. If you don't use your talents for God, he's going to take them away from you. Because it's been called primarily the parable of the talents. And so you may have been taught, well, if you don't sing for the Lord, he's going to take your voice away. You won't be able to sing anymore. So like the, the, the more you don't go, and some of, you, some of y'all don't need to sing for God. Just realize, keep singing in the shower for Jesus and that'd be good enough. But they're saying, if you don't sing for the Lord, he'll take your voice away. If you don't do this for the Lord, he's going to take it away from you. And it doesn't mean that God gave you a talent. If you don't use it, he'll take it away. Now, God does expect us to use our God-given abilities for his purposes But it doesn't mean that he's going to get mad at you and he's going to strike you down and take that away from you because you haven't used it yet for his kingdom. That's not the primary point of this parable. The second is this. If I'm not outwardly successful with increase, then I have failed. So when you look at like your life and your bank account and even maybe your business or what you're doing with life, and you're not like, you know, um, on the lifestyles of the rich and famous, if you even remember that, <laughs> Forbes 500, whatever, top 500, then maybe you really aren't being successful. And many, many people think that because they're not seeing this outward success that maybe God looks at them and says, well, I'm not going to give you more because you don't have a lot of money. And that's not what it means either. Another misconception too, and I deal with this in ministry a lot, and it's this, if I don't always see increase, then I'm in danger of hell. And so people have this idea that not only with outward success and they fail, but they also believe if they don't keep seeing out like this increase in their life, then maybe they will go to weeping uh, and, and gnashing of teeth in outer darkness, as Jesus said. Jesus, again, used these contrasts. He used these over-exaggerations to get a point across. And the point is not this. The point is not if you don't use your talents, you can go to hell. The point is not if you don't, you know, um, produce a lot for the kingdom, then you're in danger of hell. Because if you look at John 15 and Jesus talked about the vine and the branches and pruning and producing fruit and, you know, being cast out to outer darkness, that creates a works-based fear-based salvation mentality, and we talk about that all the time, is that you're not saved by your works. You're saved for good works, right? You're saved for God to use you for his purposes. But if you're not, you know, doing great works and doing things for the kingdom and seeing great results, then you're not in danger of hell. So I want to talk to you what this parable is really about. The brass tacks, what this parable is about, when you break it down and you look at what is that one point Jesus is trying to get across. Remember, Every parable has about one major point. Don't try to dig out four or five of them. Don't look for detail in them. They're not allegories. They're not fables. They're not false stories. They're not, about, they're not talking animals and crazy things. They're, people, they're things that people could really understand. And so when you look at this parable, this earthly story with a heavenly meaning, there's one central point. And so if you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write this down. And here's the central point. We are merely stewards of God's resources. We don't own anything. 
We're merely, merely stewards of God's resources. We don't own anything. When I wrote my first book, I asked a good friend of mine, who, uh, Dr. Tracy Reynolds, who's a, you know, just a leadership guy. He has taught me so much about leadership. Um, he was the dean of Christian ministries at Emmanuel College when I was there. And he just gave us the Maxwell books and the Habitudes books and poured things into us. I thought he'd be great to write a foreword for my first book. And so when he wrote it, he sent it to me. And here's what he wrote. He put, leadership is stewardship. And I thought, that is stupid. Why wouldn't you write something deep about leadership? We all know leadership is. And so I began to read it. And, but this is the very point that he was getting across about leadership. That, and it applies to all of us to so just hang in there about managing everything we have for God. But he made the point that everything we have as a leader has been given to us to steward and give an answer back to God for. And so in your life, I want you to realize this. You may think, well, man, this is pretty simple. It's so hard to live out because deep down inside, we believe we own things. We believe this is ours. We believe this, our house is our house because our names are on it, our cars or our money or our bank accounts. And this is the reason so many believers struggle in partnering with the purposes of God is because they don't understand that they are merely stewards. If you're a follower of Jesus... Everything you have has been given to you by God to steward. It's been given to you by God to manage, to look at and say, God, I want to use it for your kingdom. I want to use it to advance your kingdom. See, the people in the story used what they had to advance the purpose of their master. You and I in this story, this redemption story, have been giving things to, listen, to advance the purposes of our master right? So we're merely stewards. We don't own anything. We don't have anything, but we will give an answer for what we've been given. No matter how much you've been given or how little you've been given, God doesn't grade on a curb. God looks at what you've been given. He says, okay, I'm giving you five. Why did you, why'd you give him five? I don't know why God gave some people five. Why did God only give me two? I don't know why. Why did God give me one? We don't know why God gives what we give. We do know this. No matter what he has given you, you are called to lead and steward that in your life. You're called to say, you know what? I'm going to leverage what I've been given for the Lord. Here's why this matters so much. This is critically important. Many of us in here have been given things by God to use for his kingdom. The sad thing is so many of us don't. So many of us don't view our resources as a gift from God. Like when it comes to giving, when it comes to our finances, we don't view the money that we've been given as God given it to us, we view, I work for that money and that's my money. It's not your money. It's God's. Like every dollar is God's. And so that's the whole idea of tithing, of taking the first 10% and giving it back to God. It's an act of worship. You're, like, like you're saying, God, thank you. But then he wants you to take the rest of that money and be wise with it and leverage it. Don't blow it on frivolous things, but be able to invest it, be able to use it, be able to be smart with it because it's not your money. These aren't your toys, right? These aren't our toys. Like I told my son, these are my toys, and I'm letting you use it. That's the same thing God does with money, with time. God gives you 86,400 seconds every day. Every one of us get the same amount of time every day. The richest, the poorest, the most successful, the least successful in the eyes of the world, we all have the same amount of time. 
God gives you resources. He has given you talents. Well, I don't know what I can do for the Lord. I can't do much. He's given you breath in your lungs, and he's given you the ability to live. You can do something for God. I remember when we first launched this church, uh, one of the members who passed away a few years into it was named Mr. Huey Blackburn. Huey had been with the life of the church previously uh, before I got here for many, many, many years. And when he got here, he told me this. He said, he, he said this, if you knew Huey, he was uh, at this time on a walker, and he was in his 80s, and he said, son, he said, I can't do much around here anymore. He said, but I can pray. He said, I can give off this, the, of, of, of what I have and this little bit I get each month. He said, you know what I will do? I'll write cards and send them to people. And some of you who came in the first four or five years of Thrive Church, you got a card from Huey and Evelyn Blackburn. He said, I, he said, I don't have a whole lot to give, but what I do have and what I've been given from God, I'm going to give back. See, that's the idea we should have because I believe many of us in here, we're not in danger of hell, but not leveraging the resources. Like leveraging your resources won't get you into heaven. It won't get you a better mansion in heaven. But here's what will happen, I believe. And I could be wrong, but here's what I believe. In the book of Revelation, it says this. It says that when we get before God as believers, right, that he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Now, yes, that could mean past pain and past disappointments and all the things we experience on earth. But what if that could mean the missed opportunities as well? What if wiping away tears from our eyes means that God may show us a snapshot of what could have been and what should have been, but because of our selfishness, because of our ability to blame other people and blame circumstances, we never leveraged anything God had given us. We never leveraged our abilities. And God shows us a snapshot, and we go into to tear mode because we say, God, you gave me so much, and I never used it for your kingdom because I pretended it was mine. He's going to show you opportunities you could have had in the kingdom, but because you wouldn't leverage what the little you had, he couldn't give you any more. And so I believe it's critically important as believers that we understand that we're stewards and we don't own anything and that we're going to call account for it and we have opportunities that God wants to give us. So what must we do? Here's what we must do. And here's what I want you to write down in your notes. Here's the action we must take. Leverage everything you have in an act of worship unto God. Leverage everything you have in an act of worship unto God. The, the word leverage means to advance, to take what's been given and make more with it. It's like seesaw. You leverage your weight to push, push up the other person on the other side. And the same thing, you're leveraging what God's given you to advance the purposes of the master. And that's worship. That's why like, during our worship services, when you're here physically with us, we do the, the worship, like we do the giving right like, after the worship and say um, that this, we're going to worship God now with our gift because that's worship unto God. If you're just throwing money in a bucket, if you're just writing a, you're quote unquote paying your tithes, if you're online just putting money in because you just want to support, do something good for a church, you've missed the whole point of giving. Do you understand what, what giving is? It's pausing and it's saying, master, you have given me this, and I just want to give it back to you because I love you so much. It warms my heart every time, and I share this story often. It happened the other day again to me. Sometimes I think, when will this stop? And at a certain age, this is going to stop with my son. It was uh, Easter candy time, and he got his whole little bag of Reese's Pieces. And I said, son, you can't have all of them. That's just way too many. It's going to hurt your stomach, but you can have five of them. And he was a little disappointed because he wanted them all. I gave him five. 
A few minutes later, he comes back, and he wants to give me a Reese's Pieces. He says, thank you for letting me have the five that I was given. That is an act of showing me worth, of caring for me as his dad. That's what giving is. We're leveraging, we're using what God has given us for worship unto him. See, worship is not standing somewhere and lifting your hands for two hours. Oh, man, that's a worshiper right there. You can lift your hands for two hours. You can sing to the top of your lungs. You can dance. You can jump up and down. You can roll on the floor. You can do whatever you think worship is and leave the house of God. You can leave the church and still not be a worshiper because you're not leveraging anything God has given you. You're selfish. You're keeping it for yourself. You believe you own it. And if we're going to partner with the purposes of God in our life, we've got to break that mentality. Do you know that even your life is not your own if you're a follower of Jesus? It says that you were bought with a price. That Jesus bought you with the price of his blood. He paid the debt of your sins with his blood. We don't own anything. We have to leverage what we've been given in worship to God. Matter of fact, Tim Elmore from Growing Leaders calls it the little big principle. And he finds this principle not only in the passage we just read, but in Luke 16, Luke actually shows this principle. And he, he, and he records Jesus teaching kind of the same thing, but this is the, the, the teaching point. And here's what he says in Luke 16, verse 10. He says, if you're faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy, watch this, about worldly wealth, you have got to pay attention to this here. This is key. This is Jesus saying this. He says, if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, everything you've been given, who will trust you with the riches of heaven? If you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? Told my son, remember, these are my toys. If you want another one, you bring this one unscathed back up, and then we'll trade toys out. I remember one time actually giving a car to a person. I was really happy about this, and I have taken great care of this car. Um, everything I've always been given, I just take really good care of. I didn't grow up with a whole lot, and so we just learned to really take good care of what we had. I mean, I've always washed and waxed cars and vacuumed them. And why? Because I'm just grateful to have a car. I was just grateful to have one. Some people just treat them as like, hey, we, this is something you have as a, as, a, you know, look, as a commodity. I viewed it as a luxury. And so I gave this car, I took good care of. And within two months, the car was completely destroyed. I'm not lying to you, to the point it was undrivable. It broke my heart because I had given this. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Do you think I would ever give that person a car again? No. What if God, well, God would have to show up in the way of an angel in front of me saying, give him the car, Kevin, because I would never do it again. And I've seen that happen over and over. I, I, I've given ministries to people. I've given things to people that I've, I've taken such great care of and watched people dismantle things. And it breaks my heart. See, the key is this. You've got to be faithful in the little things you've been given to be given more. And you've got to also be faithful with somebody else's things to get things of your own. And so, like, the principle my dad taught me when I went to college, I, I, I just wasted his money my first two years of college. You've heard my story of being kicked out of East Carolina University. I wasted his money, and I wasted his time. He said, your job, Kevin, is to make good grades. 
He said, you don't have to work a job for the first uh, year or two of college. He said, you make good grades, you don't have to work a job. Well, guess what Kevin didn't do? Kevin didn't do well with what my dad had given me to do. So guess what? My dad said, now you come home and you work and you pay your own way through college because I'm not doing it because you were unfaithful with my money. So guess what? You've now got to do it on your own. See, this little big principle of being faithful in little things is things that people miss. Like you watch people who God uses greatly. It's because they were faithful in little things. Like, I remember, like, every ministry position I've had, like, I, I didn't have a full-time ministry position until after I even had a doctorate. I mean, I was working a job, you know, 60 hours a week doing ministry and working full-time on a job. And I was just faithful that little church plant God had given me, and I would work and everything that, that I had. And for me, it's always been working with what you got. It's the little things. Matter of fact, my first ministry endeavor ever, so like, and that's kind of like Dr. Seuss Rhymes there, endeavor ever, um, but my first ministry endeavor that I ever had in my life was um, at, we got kicked out of a church because we, the youth ministry began to grow and God began to do really cool things with it and it was really awesome. And then what happened was, though, the whole staff got kicked out because the church didn't like it become multicultural, blah, blah, blah. And so we had to, to borrow another church facility and plant a church. At that time, we had no kids director, I was the youth pastor. We had no associate pastor. We had no executive pastor. So here's what I did. I saw the pastor's wife in kids ministry every week, and here's what I did. I said, Miss Cindy, I said, Deanna and I are going to come and do kids ministry every week. We don't need to sit in worship service. We'll worship with the students when we do worship on Wednesday nights. I said, we don't need to do this. And we went in with no curriculum. I'd never taught kids before. Um, I, I didn't even have kids. Um, I'm, I, at that point, I didn't consider myself very good with kids. Now, I think kids are awesome. At that point, didn't even like kids. But you know what I did? We went in every week, and we played trash get ball with the kids. We laid them against a trash can with a rolled-up piece of paper, and they threw paper, and they tried. And we had teams, and we did the scripture scramble. We wrote scripture on paper on that Saturday night. We had no resources. Our, nur our nursery had nothing in it except some people sitting in there in a chair. We had no pack and play. We had, I mean, we were, we were destitute. But can I tell you something? I put everything I had into it. And when we left the other church and became that one, they had to take my salary away. I had to take another, another, another job to do that. When I got to Thrive Church, this story of this church has been the church of Little Big. We have worked everything that we had. We didn't have much, but baby, we worked it, and we kept using it. And I know that in our life, if we are faithful with a few things, God will begin to increase more. The problem is some of you are looking for God to give you a ministry opportunity, but you aren't faithful with the opportunities you have in, in the world. Like if, if God said, let me see your resume, he said, man, I can't give, let, let you have faithfulness in charge over the church. You can't be faithful in your own finances. How are you going to take charge of that? That's a principle of the kingdom. And you can be mad at me and you can grimace at me through your, through your uh, iPhone, iPad, or TV right now. But I'm trying to help you to understand how to partner with God to leverage his resources. So how do we do this? And here's two things that I have taken to heart that I've used in my life that have helped me continually pursue and leverage God's resources. The first one is this. Stop trying to go big or go home. Like, I, I think in our generation, we have this all or nothing mentality that either we want God to give it all to us or we're not going to do anything. Like, we have these great, we're almost like the kid in Christmas story, right? We have these grandiose dreams of being in front of thousands of people and we vision, envision ourselves in front of people. If, 
if I hear somebody talk about that in ministry, I just envision myself in front of lots of people. That's a red flag. Because ministry is I envision myself serving in the very areas that are needed. Serving in the areas that are needed most. What I did in Georgia was I said, Pastor, what do you need most from me and what can I do? I didn't give him a pay package. We didn't have any money. I said, what can I do? And I did the little things. When we got to Thrive Church, Thrive Church should be called Base Hit Community Church because we didn't try to hit home runs. I just realized the next logical step. Let's be faithful with this. Let's be faithful here, and then we'll move to the next thing. And let's just keep slowly being faithful and slowly building. There are people who believe that they're looking for the lottery to come in, and then they'll begin to give. They're waiting for extra time, and then they'll begin to serve. They're waiting for this, and then they'll do that. Be faithful with the little things you have right now, and then God will bless you more. If you're waiting for more to be faithful with a little, you'll never get the little to be faithful with more. Did you just get that? Stop trying to go big or go home. Be faithful. Add value where you're at, and God will continue to make a place in his kingdom for you that will blow your mind if you'll do that. I say all the time, don't serve with agendas. Come in. And serve with pure motives. Don't try to go big or go home. Say, God, you know what? I'm going to get a base hit for your kingdom today. I'm going to keep getting base hits and keep getting base hits. And eventually you're going to win the game. Here's the next and final thing I want you to write down this morning. And here's what I've learned. Make progress. Stop making excuses. What did the guy do in the parable? He made an excuse. He tried to defame the character of that master. And he tried to blame it on the master. See, many of us are blaming our way into our situation. You're wondering, how are you in the situation that you're in? You keep blaming everything else, and you'll never take personal responsibility for you. You'll never take inventory of why you are causing the problems you're causing. See, you can't make progress and excuses at the same time. Either you'll make progress or you'll make excuses, but you'll never, you'll never make both. There's a point in time that you've got to stop making excuses. Let's just be real. During this whole COVID-19 thing, this whole coronavirus thing, many of us said, if I just had the time, this is what I would do. I'd love to have more time with my kids, but I just work all the time. And then guess what? When you get time, you don't spend it with them. Well, I, I mean, I, I would love to work out, but whew, man, it's just oh, got so much going on. And now you got the time, and guess what? You still aren't working out. Well, if I had the time to do meal prep, oh, I would love to do that, but I just don't have the. And you're not meal. See, the thing is this. We are we are just kings at justifying our position. But the problem is it's hurting you. The problem is you're not getting a chance to partner with the kingdom of God. The problem is you're not, you'll never get to see the potential that God wants to release in your life. One day I heard this guy say this. He said one day he was driving by a graveyard. He felt the Lord impressed upon his heart. The Lord said, hey, what's in that graveyard? And the man answered back. He said, bones, duh. And he felt the Lord impress this upon him. He said, not bones, unused potentials in that graveyard. Don't die with potential still inside of you because you refuse to manage the little God's given you and being faithful with somebody else's stuff. That's the key. The first hire I ever made it thrive was one that was a very risky one for the fact that we were so small as a church, didn't have a whole lot. But the reason we hired Keith Rowell on the campus pastor at Chesterfield, and he's going to kill me for, for broadcasting him live here because he hates any attention. 
The reason I wanted Keith Rao and I wanted him first was this. It was because Keith was managing somebody else's business. They lived in another state and they entrusted him with their whole business to run it while they lived in another state. And here's what I knew about Keith. I said, if he can run somebody else's business like it's his own in another state where he has no oversight and he works eight to five every day and he's faithful and he goes without complaining, I can trust him to be my right-hand man here at this church. See, manage other people's stuff well. See it as God's resources and look at the little you have and begin to create more with it. And God will continue to bless you with more. Why? So you can leverage it for his kingdom. I'm praying for you this week that this changes your view of everything you have. What are we going to do? We're going to leverage everything we've been given as an act of worship unto God to see his kingdom advance. Stay tuned for next steps.